Guys, welcome back. It is good to have you here. Um, I, am, I, I, am, I am so excited to get into God's Word with you tonight because what we're going to talk about tonight, I believe, um, as I read it, as I've studied it, as I've prepared, is, is the most exciting part of our faith. It's, it's the thing, it's, it's the uh, endeavor that is a shot of, of just lightning and energy and steroids into the faith of the believer. And it forever changes those that God has placed around us. And so I'm really excited to get in, into uh, the, the, our topic tonight. If you haven't been with us, we're in, in week three of our nine to five series talking about work, talking about our jobs, our careers. What does it look like? How does, what does God think of it? Um, and so and two weeks ago when we kicked off, uh, we just simply looked at a, at a theology of work, that work is good, that God is a worker, that God created us to work. He put Adam in the garden before sin to work the garden. And so we see that work is good. And then last week, we touched briefly on the fact that not only is work good, it is good for you. That God uses our work, our nine to five, to train us up in godliness. That if we're actually going to live out our faith, if we're going to actually practice what we preach, practice what we sing, practice what we learn and talk about in small groups and at church on Sundays and the gathering on Tuesdays, where are we going to do that? At work. Because at work, we're around people that we have to be around. You don't get to pick and choose who you get to work with. You have to work in a world and an environment that is out of your control. And what a wonderful training ground it is to look and say, does God want to use my work for my good. So not only is work good, it's good for us, which brings us to tonight. And so I wanted to share just a couple, um, I, I find statistics very interesting, and I, and I think they give us a good picture of, of what we deal with, and it puts numbers to our thoughts and our feelings. So I wanted to share a couple with you that I found from the department, uh, or sorry, the Bureau of Labor. It, I looked up, I wanted to find out how many jobs does the average person have in their life? And by the age of 40, and this includes like your high school job, your college job, your career jobs, and all that kind of thing. By the, the average American, by the age of 40, has 10 jobs. 10 jobs. That's a lot of skills. That's a lot of people. And that's a lot of time that you have adapted to, moved to, and, and uh, lived through. By the time that we are gone in our lifetime, we will have an average between 12 and 15 jobs. And so, again, we, we see this, this reoccurring issue that we can't escape work. Yes, it's good. Yes, it's good for us. And guess what? We can't escape it. We were made for it. And so one last thing I, I found, and this goes into tonight's topic a little bit nicer, is that in a lifetime, so last week I talked, we, we, we threw out this, this number, 90,000 hours of our life is spent at work, okay, between nine and five. And if you were to take all those hours and scrunch them into back-to-back-to-back-to-back hours, it would be about 12 to 15 years of your life you get to spend at work. You get to spend at work, right? Well, I wanted to find out how much time do we spend socializing in comparison to working? If we spent that much time... So I found this study uh, that said people only spend... Over the course of a lifetime, 328 days with friends socializing. 
Compare those two for a second. If you take all of the time that we're planning and looking forward to and actually spending socializing with our friends and you take all those hours from all those days and years and you scrunch them, they don't even make one year. Yet work, if we take it and scrunch it together, is 12 to 15 years. And so I had this conversation earlier today with a couple of friends, like if we're living for the weekend, you're living for 328 days out of your entire life. Versus if we're living to work and see God use our work to guide us and train us and build us up and mature us in our faith, man, that's 12 to 15 years. I know it's kind of a sobering thought, but when we start thinking about that phrase, living for the weekend, it really brings a sobering stop to like, whoa, 328 days. We are at work 14 times more than we are socializing during our lifetime. 14 years. So tonight, I want to look at work as our mission field. Work as our witness. Work as our mission field. Work as our witness. Because the, the, I want to look at the fact that work is not a prison that some of us believe that it is. <laughs> right? We go there. We can't leave. We got to stay. They only let us out into the yard for a couple hours, maybe an hour or 45 minutes at lunch, and then we got to come back, and we got to stay there until a certain time, and then they let you out only to come back the next morning at the same time. And when we look at it like that, man, you could make a case it feels like prison. But tonight I want to talk about maybe the fact that work is not prison, but maybe it's more of a platform for us to live out our faith. It's not a prison, it's a platform. And I know some of you are thinking like, oh, here it is. When I saw this series, I knew we were going to have this night. Use your job to share Jesus with people. Like you knew it was coming, right? How many of you are like, when, when, when's that night, right? You know it's coming. Well, tonight's the night. And I cannot wait. This is the one. I wanted to lead off with this, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to just kick it off with like, all right, nine to five, share Jesus at work. So I've been waiting for three, almost four weeks now since I've been prepping. I, I cannot wait. Because this is the most exciting part of our faith. And so tonight I want to reshape our thinking from, because I don't know about you, but I grew up in a world where I, when, when I started to hear about sharing my faith. Or if you're a Christian, you've grown up in the church, you heard the word evangelism. Um, certain words come to mind. Awkward. Um, tactless. Um, weird. Like all the, and they're all negative. Like in my, in my experience, I think of like the guy on the street corner shouting and screaming at people. I think of the person uh, shoving tracks, you know, like the little booklets that share the gospel Romans wrote into people's hands. Like, hey, take this. I'm not going to have a relationship with you, but read it. Right? You need Jesus. Like those are the things that come to my mind when I hear share your faith, uh, evangelism. And I, I want to reshape and completely destroy that narrative tonight. Because as an ambassador of Jesus and his kingdom, we should be wise and winsome when engaging with people not worried, wimpy, and weird. So let's shift our perspective tonight. And maybe, just maybe, we need to stop thinking that inviting people to church is the only way to reach people for Christ. That maybe, just maybe, we would realize for the first time that instead of inviting someone to church, that we need to understand that 
The church hasn't been invited to your work. You are the church. You, sitting here tonight, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are the church. And the church has been hired and paid to be places every day, every week, every month. You are the church and you are in your workplace. And so let's not just think, well, if we're gonna share Jesus, we gotta bring him to church. No, 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 the church is already there because you're there. So tonight we're gonna be in uh, two, two texts, Acts chapter one and Colossians chapter four. If you wanna flip your Bible, we're gonna be in Acts chapter one first, and then we're gonna spend the second half in Colossians chapter four. So maybe put uh, your little uh, ribbon there or your finger in Colossians four, we'll get there. So Acts chapter one, here's where we are. Jesus has been crucified. He has been risen. He has been spending time with his, with his, with his disciples, uh, with, the, with the early followers of the church. And he is about to leave. Like I grew up believing that like Jesus' last words were the last supper, uh, thus the term last supper. No, they weren't Jesus' last words. They were just his last words before he was crucified. He had a lot more to say before he went to be with the Father. And that's what we're about to read. Jesus' last words. So Acts chapter one, verse eight, read with me. He said to them, the followers of Christ, his, the believers, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my, Jesus, my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's my first point tonight. We, you, are God's plan A to reach the world for Jesus. In fact, you're not only plan A, you're plan B, and plan C, and plan D, and so on, and so on, and so on. You are his strategic measure and strategy to reach the world for Jesus. This is what he told the early church. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You are God's plan A. You see, if you're a Christian, you are a missionary. At some point in the American church, we define missionary as someone who leaves everything behind and moves to a foreign country. Like growing up in a church, that's what I believed. If you were a missionary, your life was terrible. You had to leave your family, leave your friends. You had to leave everything. Sell your car, your house, and move to a third world country and live in a hut. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I don't know if you know the geography of the area that Jesus is speaking of, but where does he start? He says, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Where were they that, when he was speaking? In Jerusalem. And then he says, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me bring it home for us. If Jesus were speaking to us, he would say, you will be my witnesses in Oklahoma City, and then in Oklahoma, and then in the southern region, and then to all the earth. But somehow, at some point, we got this totally backwards where we think, we grew up in a world of the church world that says, start with the entire world. And then maybe if possible, if it's comfortable and convenient, let's bring it home. But Jesus says, no, 
You start where you're at. We had a speaker here not too long ago. Her name is Jill Briscoe. She had a great line about this. She said, your mission field is where your two feet are. That is your mission field. Like that term mission field even gives us like a mental image of like this far off place in a rice field where people are less fortunate than us. That's where I need to go. That's the mission field. No, your mission field is where your two feet are because you are God's plan A to reach the world for Jesus. His instructions to the first believers were to reach people, not to start programs, not to attend programs. I want you to hear me here. Jesus did not die on the cross. Raise again, forgive our sin, and give us new life in Christ so that we can attend a program. That's not why he died. He's not calling his, the early church to be witnesses to a wonderful program. He said, you will be my witnesses to people because Jesus came for people. Let me show you Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost people. In John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all the Bible, God so loved the world, people, that he gave his only son. God's passion is people. His heart beats for people, not programs. I'm not killing programs. That's what we got going on tonight. God uses programs, but his heartbeat is for people. And that's why you are his plan A, because you are people too. And people reach people, sometimes through programs. But here's what I want to encourage you with, maybe challenge you with. If Jesus' passion and purpose was for people, how can we obediently follow Christ and not share his passion and pursuit of people? If Jesus came and said, the reason I'm here, my whole mission, my whole passion is for people, then how in the world have we got it so wrong that we can live and worship and study our Bibles and not share in Jesus's passion to reach people? I think in the American church, sometimes we outsource it, Right? We outsource it. Somebody else will do it. Watch a podcast or watch a video. Listen to a podcast. No, you are God's plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I'm not going to do the whole alphabet. He, you're his plan because he loves people. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we love people? Are we passionate about people? Because Jesus was passionate about people. You know, we sing songs about grace. We sing songs about God's faithfulness. We sing songs about God's mercy. But can I be honest for a second? I love singing those songs because I love God's grace for me. Because I know who I am. I love his mercy because I know who I, what I've done. I know what I will do. But I'm excited for his grace and love for me. 
But church, has it ever translated to have a love and excitement for God's grace, love and mercy for people, for your coworkers, for your neighbors, your friends, your family? Has it translated that this wonderful grace that we have received in Christ is not just for you? He loves your coworker that you hate. And he died on the cross for them too. Sometimes I, I'm just being completely honest. I get so excited for God's grace for me that I forget that he's called me to share that grace with other people. Yes, even working in a church, I get caught up in programs and preparation and I ignore or forget or deliberately avoid people. If Jesus' passion and purpose was for people, how can we obediently follow Jesus and not share his passion and pursuit of people? And this whole idea of being God's plan A, I'll be honest, it, can, it makes me feel very inadequate. And maybe you're here tonight, so like, Andy, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how, I don't know what to say. I'm not a theologian, I'm not a pastor, I didn't, whatever. Like we have, we have a bunch of built-in things, excuses of why, I'm inadequate. Here's the great news. Great news. You ready for this? Your inadequacy is good because it will make God look greater. If you think you are able, if you think you are good enough, okay, great, then you'll go do it. But if you feel inadequate of being God's plan A for the people that you work with and live with, you're in great company because it will make God look even greater when you're like, God, I totally botched that. I didn't say what I should have said. You're driving home and you're like, oh, I wish I would have done that. And then all of a sudden you start seeing them love and have questions about Jesus. And you're like, what happened? I screwed up. This is... It makes God look better because we're inadequate. I love how God does that. And he says, it is okay to feel the way you do because it will only make him look greater because he's doing it through you. You see, being God's plan, or sorry, before I, I wanna move on, I wanna share this with you. Love this quote by one of my favorite pastors. His name's Todd Wagner down in Dallas. He says this, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. So don't set out to do something great for God. Learn instead to depend on God who has done something great for you. I love that. Don't set out to do something great for God. Because then it's about you doing something great for him. Instead, all we need to do is depend on him and point people to him who has done great things for me. Now, if you don't understand that and you're like, Andy, I don't know the great things that he's done in my life. You do not leave tonight without talking to me or one of our volunteers, and we will help you see the wonder and greatness of God's grace and mercy. We will explain it to you 10 different ways if we need to, to see the magnificence of God's greatness and love for you. Because then all we gotta say is, hey, he's loved me well. He loves you too. Colossians chapter four, I told you we were going there. We're gonna be in verses two through six. Colossians four, two through six, and it's called Colossians because Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing a letter to the church in Colossae from prison. I feel like all of his, he's just a prison guy. 
right? He's always making plans to go on missionary journeys and they keep getting screwed up. Not like a flat tire on the car. He's in prison again because of Jesus. And watch what he has to say here. He's writing back. He's finishing up the letter. And he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. This is my second point. Be cultivating a mission field mindset at work. Be cultivating a mission feel mindset at work. Observe here this text, because you gotta look at what he's asking them to pray for him for. Like this is like small group time, you know, the studies done, they're done in prison, they've closed their books, and someone asked, hey, how can we pray for you guys? Right, small group prison, that's what they're doing here. And Paul's like, I got a prayer request. Notice what he asks for versus what he does not ask for. Because I guarantee you, if I was in prison because of my faith, my first prayer would not be this. Let me read it again. He's encouraging them continually, steadfastly in prayer, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us who are in prison that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He didn't pray for a different cellmate. He didn't pray to get out quicker. He's not asking, hey guys, I mean, this isn't an email, this isn't a prison visit, it's a letter. And it's gonna take weeks, if not months, to get to Colossae. So he's only got one shot. He may be dead before they get the letter. He doesn't know. And the one thing he asks for is that God would give me opportunity in here to share the mystery of Jesus Christ. And that when I speak, it would be clear, as it should. You know, I, I had a friend uh, who went on, took a group of, of uh, young adults to Haiti on a mission trip. And I was asking him about it. He was telling me the story. And it was just fascinating to listen about to this story. Because it kind of, you know, we do mission trips, short-term mission trips, whatever. Um, and he was telling me, cause they went after all, all the earthquakes a couple years back. And they were going house to house, asking, how, hey, how can we help you? What can we do for you? But eventually they would like share the gospel of Jesus Christ with whoever was at the house. And he, would, he shared the story like this. He said, we'd go to the house. They would come to the door or around the rubble or whatever. And I would introduce myself. And then the translator would speak and tell him what I just said. And then I would speak again. And then the translator would speak again and tell him what I just said. And he said it was so frustrating because I'm not used to stopping like at the end of every sentence and being interrupted to have my words regurgitated in a different language. So by about day one and a half, they get to this house and they knock on the door and this lady comes to the door and he said, you know what? Um, you just tell her, just tell her. You've heard me for a day and a half. You know what I'm gonna say, just tell her. And the translator, who is not a believer, 
proceeds to share the gospel with this woman without my friends speaking. And it made him think this. He said, why do we go far off places where we do not know the language, we do not know the culture, we are not trusted, and we're not staying? But we train ourselves, we pay a bunch of money, we plan and get excited. Now, let me just say real quick, I'm not, I'm not dogging on mission trips. Go on them. They're great for you. But here's my point, and here's my friend's point. He's like, we do all of this to go to a place where we don't know the language, we're not trusted, I don't know the culture, and I'm not staying, but we, we, we share the gospel with him. And he made me think, what? Where, where do I know the language? Where do I understand all the culture? Where do I, am I naturally trusted? And where am I going to stay long-term? Here. Nine to five. At your work. They know you. They probably trust you. You know the culture of your work and of the country we live in and you're gonna come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And so my friend was just, he was just kind of stopped in his tracks like, what are we doing? What the heck are we doing? Why are we not doing this where we live? We go to far off places, but why don't we do it here? I love Paul's mindset about a mission field wherever he is. Because a mission field mindset brings the mission field to you and you to it every day. When we have a mission field mindset, the mission field comes to you and you to it every single day. And the cool thing is that God's, you don't know this, maybe you can't see it, but God's already working where you are. He's already working. There's no way God who is for people, who loves people, and is working all things out for the good of those who love him, that he would put you in a place where he's not already working. And so our decision is not do I share the gospel, do I, it's not do I share Jesus, it's do I join God in what he's already doing. Because he's moving. Aslan is on the move. He is. But our fears and our insecurities convince us, I can't do it. I won't articulate it enough. It, it might be awkward. No, it won't. God's already moving. So find out where he's moving. Pray for God to show you where he's moving and then pray for the courage to join him in the adventure. As we drive to work every day, cultivate a mission field mindset by thanking God for placing you where you are with whom you are. As you drive to work, make a mental exercise of resetting your mind. I'm not going to work. I'm going to my mission field. And it will change everything about your job. I promise you. It will change how you see people. It will change how you see problems. It will change how you see your paycheck. It will change how you see everything. When your work becomes your mission field. 
Colossians 4, and then verse 5 and 6 says this. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. My third point is this. Be wise and winsome, not worried, wimpy, and weird. Be wise and winsome. That word winsome simply means generally pleasing and engaging and lighthearted and cheerful. Don't be a stick in the mud. What is he, what's, what's he asking for? He's, in, or he's imploring the church in Colossae, walk in wisdom, not around outsiders, toward them. Toward them. It's an intentional movement towards people who do not know Jesus, who have no hope. Their hope is in their paycheck. Their hope is in a raise and a promotion. Their hope is in all the things that we've already talked about over the last seven or eight weeks of this year. You bring a new hope, the hope that they don't even know they're looking for. Wise doesn't mean when I say be wise and winsome, what wise does not mean is quiet. Somehow we get this idea that, well, if I want to you know, be wise and well thought of, I, need to, I just need to shut up. And we're convinced somehow that being wise at work means being silent about our faith. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying walk with wisdom towards others, making the best use of our time. And then look at this, look at this. Let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. You see, it does matter what people think of you. I know I'm going to go against every youth pastor you've ever had in middle school and high school because I was that guy. Don't care what people think of you. No, no, you need to care what people think of you. Here's why. In 1 Timothy 3.7, Paul says, if you're going to be a leader in the faith, you must be well thought of by outsiders so that he or she may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. You need to be well thought of by outsiders. It matters what they think of you. So therefore, it matters how you work. It matters your attitude at work. It matters how you treat people at work. It matters whether you tell the truth or you fudge on your numbers at work. Because they're watching you. It matters what people think. You hear that phrase, I'm probably gonna butcher it, that, you know, like share Jesus with your actions and if necessary with words. I roll until I'm dead, okay? You've gotta be kidding me. That is the worst advice I've ever heard anyone. It's the biggest cop-out. It is the biggest excuse not to share your faith in the history of the world. It's maybe the, one of the greatest lies Satan has ever got into the church world. Don't share, your, don't speak. You hear, like, are you hearing me? That advice would be like, don't open your mouth. Just be nice to people. Well, guess what? There are people who are nicer than us. <laughs> you got to speak. But when we speak, let it be seasoned with salt and gracious, winsome, lighthearted, cheerful, generally pleasant. Because I'll promise you this, grumpiness and groaning and complaining and gossiping don't win people to Christ. Groaning and grumbling, complaining and gossiping do not win people to Christ because when we do those things, we look just like the world. And our hope is, is hidden in our grumpiness. Our hope is destroyed by our complaining. 
Because like, you're just as miserable as I am. You're just as hopeless as I am. Our attitude, our work ethic, they all matter. Because you're working at your mission field. Romans 2.4, Paul says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I got a thought on this. You know what it doesn't say? Being right leads people to repentance. Showing people they're wrong leads them to Repentance. Guilt shaming them leads them to repentance. What does it say? God's kindness leads them to repentance. Are you kind? At work, are you known as being kind? Beth Moore had a great tweet last week. I think she knew I was going to speak on this. If you don't follow Beth Moore on Twitter, do it as soon as I'm done talking, not right now. She's one of the best at Twitter. She said this, be a respite for the world's hate and fear and anxiety and meanness and coldness and prejudice and slander for people today. Don't blend in, stick out. That's not your calling. Show up as a flesh and blood shove against the world's influence. We push back the hate. We push back the anxiety and say, you know what? I don't need to be anxious. God's got this. It's gonna be okay. He's for you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. It's gonna be okay. And so we don't need to be mean with our words. We don't need to be shameful with our words. We don't need to be right all the time and tell people we're right all the time. We need to be kind. Don't blend in, stick out, but stick out for the right reasons. So as we watchfully work with wisdom, remember, it's God's work that we are accomplishing, not ours. Your mission field is not even your work. God's already working. We're just joining him with it. You see, the result of our, our witness, the result of our witness, the results, follow me here, the end goal, the results, the bottom line is not your responsibility. Don't steal that from God. That's his job. We get so wrapped up and like, I don't know what to say. What if it's awkward? It's not up to you. You're trying to steal God's glory and responsibility in that person's heart, in their life. It's not your job. Your job and my job, our calling as Christians, is to be available and obedient to how God would use us. That's your job. That's my job, is to be available, to be used by God and obedient when I see him move. And whatever happens is not your responsibility. So let's not steal God's job which I would gladly give up because I can't even control my own self. I can't even will my own way. How am I supposed to change somebody else? Be available and be obedient. So where do we begin? Quickly, I've got four things that practically speaking, anyone can do. Anyone. Okay, anyone can do these four. How do we actually do this? Here we go. Number one, sorry. We start by praying. We start by praying. 
I know you're like, man, that's super, really genius, Andy. No, that's what we do. Paul says, continue steadfastly in, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So here's what you pray. Number one, that God would increase your love for people. Ask him to enlarge in your heart for people. We make all the room, we make all the space for us. I'll spend a little more money. I'll sacrifice a little bit more to get what I want. Ask God to expand your love for people because that's what he was passionate about. Secondly, or sorry, so we pray that God would increase uh, our love for people. Uh, the second thing we pray for is for open doors, just like Paul. God, open a door. Open a door and give me the courage to step through it. Give me an open door to share the word and the mystery of the gospel of Jesus. And give this stupid head of mine, like the, 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 the neon lights, like ding, 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 Andy, this is your opportunity, ding, 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 and step into it. And then start praying for your coworkers. Make a list. Like this is, I mean, this is the simplest, most impactful thing you can do. Make a list of your coworkers and start praying for them. Not one time, put it on your dashboard in your car so that as you reset your mind to head to your mission field, you have names attached to that mission field. Start praying for them in private. And when the door opens, pray for them and with them. When they're having a hard day, when they're discouraged, ask, can I pray for you? Can I just real quick, can I pray for you? It's not like you're having a hard day. See, I hear something you know, this week, can I pray for you? Get out there. Pray for people. Number two, how do we do this? By speaking and seeking. So we start with praying, and then we move to speaking and seeking. We got to put God on the table. We have to stop hiding him. We have to stop being ashamed of our faith in Jesus and put him on the table. Let them know you're a Christian. When they ask you, how was your weekend? If you went to church, tell them you went to church. I went to church. Saw a bunch of my friends. It was great. We celebrated 60 years of crossings this past Sunday. It was a really cool video we got to watch of the history of God's faithfulness. It was awesome. Put Jesus on the table. Tomorrow, you go to work. What'd you do? Oh, man, I went to the gathering. It's all my friends are there. We, it's just, it's a cool night. We're going through this series on work and what God thinks of work. It was just, it's been really encouraging to me. Put God on the table. Just put him on the table. Let people know you're a Christian. So I said, speaking, put God on the table. Seeking, seek relationships with people outside of work. Show them value. Show them value. I tell small groups this all day long. Healthy small groups hang out outside of small group. Unhealthy small groups do not. Because when you hang out with someone outside of an hour and a half that you give them, it shows that you value and like them. And you care for them. Take them out for coffee. Grab lunch. Because you can have conversations at lunch or at coffee that maybe you don't feel comfortable having in the office. Okay, that's fine. Great. I'm not saying get fired. If you do, praise Jesus. Like, like, <laughs> but have the conversation. Ask them for coffee. Ask them to go to the game with you. Whatever it may be. Pursue them. Number three, serve them. Praying, speaking, seeking, and serving. Find creative ways to serve people. 
A quick little word uh, that I like to, uh, that I helps me remember this is see a need, meet a need. If you see the need, that means you meet the need. Don't wait for someone else to do it. I'm still trying to get my kids to figure this out when it comes to the dishes. Like, I see them, but that's my kids' need, right? Like, they need, they need to meet that need. See a need, meet a need. And lastly, I want you to start trading. Trading WWJD for WWJHMD. I know, I'm gonna tell you what it means, don't worry. WWJD is great. We got bracelets. What would Jesus do, right? It's a question. And it's when we think about, like, what would Jesus do right now? But that's not the right question to ask because you're not Jesus. You're not gonna die on the cross for anybody. You're not gonna transform anyone's soul. You're not Jesus. And so when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? It's simply a mental exercise. WWJHMD means, what would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus have me do? Because it takes the mental exercise of Jesus and it lives out through us. What would Jesus have me do? Now, what would he do? What, what, what is, what's he having me do? Trade it. Trade it. So as we end our time here tonight, my prayer is that we would rethink our work and our witness. That we would ask ourselves some hard questions about how we view work and our coworkers that this is the beginning of something amazing out there as we talk about it in here. You know, we often use at the gathering, we even have on the back of our t-shirts, come and see, come and see. Because we want people to come and see and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's my challenge to you. Go and be the church. Don't just come and see and feel good about yourself, sing some songs, hear a message and be like, I'm good. No, go and be the church. You are his plan A. Go and be the church. Come and see, and then go and be. Don't stand still when you have the most wonderful, fruitful mission field every day. Here's how I want to end tonight. On the screen is going to be a prayer for our 120 seconds. And I want you, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to just give it to you to read it, to pray through it, take a screenshot of it, whatever you want. This is my encouragement. This is a prayer of Colossians chapter four brought into our own language. Here's what it says. Lord, use me today as your ambassador. Open my eyes to see people the way that you see people. Open doors for me to declare the mystery of Christ. Help me to make the gospel clear through my words, my actions, and my attitudes. Help me be wise, kind, and intentional in how I interact with outsiders and embolden me to make the most of every opportunity that you have put in my path. So as we go into 120 seconds, read this, pray it, write down names on your phone of your coworkers and start praying for them. If you got a coworker that you can't stand, if you got a boss that just grinds you and you feel de defeated every day, Maybe tonight you just need someone to pray for you. Our team's ready. They're in the back. Let them pray for you. Let them pray for your coworkers. Let them pray for your relationships. Let them pray for what God would want to do through you and in you at work. So we'll give you 120 seconds and then we're gonna worship some more because God's worthy of it.